Hello and welcome back to CMO Combo, the show from CMO Alliance where we dive into the discussions that are key for CMOs to succeed in the modern age. This time, I'm joined by Chris Wallace, CEO and President of Interview, and he's here to share the importance of two-way dialogues between marketing and frontline teams, with a particular focus on his brand transfer study process. Hi, Chris. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, it's going to be a great conversation to have because it's one that's very relevant to CMOs, and that's having a, a two-way dialogue between marketing departments and your frontline teams, which is going to be absolutely essential to any kind of um, any kind of business, not like B2B, B2C, anywhere where there's a customer and you have a team facing that customer, it's going to be important to have that dialogue. But before we get down to discussing how that works, how about you introduce yourself, Chris, to our, to our listeners, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So um, uh, my background really is um, I've been a salesperson pretty much my entire career. And, um, you know, sales and, and marketing are you know, obviously there, there's sort of crossovers between those two. I've held, held roles where it was sales only. I've held, held roles where it was sales and marketing. So I've always kind of lived in, in the, in the kind of in the middle of those two disciplines. And um, some may say, some may say silos, but having been a, a salesperson, have a sales sensibility, uh, the, you know, the, the bulk of or in my entirety of my career, um, when we, when we started interviewing and, and we really drew on a lot of our experience as salespeople and, and really the value proposition of our company is founded on this idea of there's people out there that represent you and it's not enough just to share some <clears throat> product specs or, or talking points with them. Um, you really need to understand what's in their head. Um, <clears throat> they are a channel. They're a channel that influences the success of your, your brand, your message, your, your, your marketing program. And uh, engaging those folks uh, in a way where you're trying to convince them um, and, and really equip them to be evangelists, as opposed to um, just getting to the point where you say, box checked, sent, you know, training done, one sheet sent, check, um, but really lean in and, and treat them like a channel um, is really kind of born out of our, our experience. I say our, our entire team, everybody on our team has sales experience. Every single person on our team has sold before. So um, we really do kind of carry the, the torch of the salespeople and helping marketers really build that bridge to, to their frontline teams. Uh, that's one of the reasons I was so excited about speaking today is your, your sales background, because we're in a bit of an echo chamber on the show. I'm going to admit, like we're getting a lot of marketing perspectives and marketers talking about like what they need to be doing with sales and what sales needs to be doing for them. So it's going to be great to have your perspective on that. So we've got sort of like the, the sales perspective on how marketing can help them rather than us kind of throwing around lots of hypotheticals and stuff like that. So that's going to be very interesting. Um, so we're talking about frontline teams today, but that, that, that doesn't just mean sales, does it? It can mean other things. It means stuff like customer support as well. And having two-way dialogues with them is very important, um, I assume. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the way we look at it, frontline is anybody who inter interacts with the customer in any way, shape, or form. So, and I think that, you know, from, from our perspective, um, I think one of the positive byproducts of what we've gone through the last couple of years with, with, through the global pandemic has been on um, this intensified focus and recognition of frontline employees and, and the work that they do and their relevance and importance in terms of the day-to-day -day execution of businesses and, and, and really the, the, the service of and delight of customers really is the result of their work in a lot of cases. And I know that people get in, you know, fall into the trap of thinking, well, our customers are in love with our digital platform. 
customers don't fall in love with a digital platform. They fall in love with the way they're treated. And it's usually humans are, are the ones doing that. So um, it, it can be can be a salesperson, it can be customer service, it can be a retail associate. Um, we do a lot of work with uh, businesses that have um, either technicians um, that go into customers' homes or installers or delivery people. Um, and when you think about the, the full gamut of the customer journey, um, the customer journey isn't just you know, how they interact with a digital ad or, or how they interact with your e-commerce buy flow. It really, you know, really does trickle down to, you know, did that person who left it on their front porch um, uh, uh, deliver it in the right way and, and treat it with the proper care? So it encompasses a lot more than just than just the sale, you know, the, the, just that part, that component of the, the process. And, and it's incredibly important, um, those kind of touch points with customers, because it doesn't matter how great your brand is, how great your advertising is, but if, if a customer has a bad experience with a salesperson or with um, or with a delivery person or with a um, with a customer support team even they'll they'll take their business elsewhere it doesn't matter if it's b2b or b2c it can just take that one negative interaction for them to decide no nope, we're going to some other uh, different brand and there are ways that cmos and branding can and marketing can help reinforce that it can give sort of direction to how frontline workers are supposed to present themselves um, that's because branding isn't just about the logo. It's about how your company presents yourself to the world. Is that kind of what we're talking about when it comes to a two-way dialogue? Yeah, I, I love the way you're talking about that. And, and when you say the way the brand presents themselves, what, what I would say is, you know, a lot of times when folks will ask us, they'll say, you know, truly, what, what is your skill set? What's your differentiated skill set? And we say, we both have the experience and the tools to help you translate what your brand is and who you want your brand to be into behaviors. Um, and, and, and the brand needs to live through those behaviors and the best brands, that is actually true. They, they, they show up through those behaviors. And, you know, I talk a lot about, a lot about brands on, uh, on shows that I've, that I've, that I've appeared on before and, and in my speaking and things like that. One that I don't actually talk about enough that I, I should talk about more is um, a brand here in the States, uh, USAA insurance. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just a brand that they've, They've, they've outlined what their commitment is, who their target market is, and they are just maniacal in every single one of their touch points about making sure they show up in the right way um, for those people. So when you talk about that idea of, of how, how it shows up, it really is in the behaviors. How do you behave in a way that is consistent with, with how we want to be perceived as a brand? Because it is those behaviors that will show up in the interactions, and the interactions, like you said, are the ones that make that indelible uh, that indelible imprint on the on the consumer in terms of their perception of the brand but at the same time we can't in the marketing world in the in the cmo role you can't just be dictating to the frontline team this is how you should be acting because they're the ones who know what their customers are like what the customers respond to so there needs to be a two-way dialogue so you can establish you can establish a meeting of the minds and how the frontline workers are presenting themselves as part of the brand the brand shouldn't be dictatorial it should be it should be a shared experience within a company that you're building the brand and you're sharing the brand with the world. And I think that's what I think of when I think of a two-way dialogue. I don't know if that's what you agree with, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's a couple of things. And when we talk about two-way dialogue, we look at it as um, the, the brand message has to be shared. So you, you, have to, you have to share what you're doing from a brand and marketing perspective with your frontline teams because they're the messengers. So if, the me if, if, you, if you think that your digital banner ads or your, your pay-per-click campaign or your retargeting is, are, are your only messengers, you're, you're missing a really important you know, channel of, of your marketing strategy, and that is your, your frontline teams. So I think that 
there's the, you know, there's the communicating with them, but then there's the hearing what, you know, hearing what they think. I spent some time, well, yesterday I was on a long flight and um, I went through, we've built a tool called a brand transfer study. Mm-hmm. And the brand transfer study is the relay mechanism. Um, it, 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 it enables the two-way dialogue. It is, it is the relay mechanism to get insights. And you know, we talk about frontline insights. It gathers those frontline insights from, from the team serving customers, brings it back up to the teams at corporate. And they're going to do two things. They're going to say, um, is the message reaching them the way that we want? And if not, we got to improve that. And the second is going to be, are they seeing things and hearing things from our customers that might help us um, adapt or change our strategy or, or make an adjustment. And I was reading through, I was going through brand transfer studies from a variety of different brands. And I was looking at verbatim comments and something occurred to me that I think is, is really interesting. Um, it's the people who work for you know your strengths and weaknesses better than your customers do. The people who work for you know where the, for lack of a better phrase, the warts are better than the customers do. And they, they become an, a, a, a mechanism to help you anticipate where needs, where your needs, where things need to change or where processes need to change. And I just think about the fact that the, the frontline insights and feedback from your front lines as, as really a, an anticipatory, you know, engine as a way to really say, we're going to get out ahead of this. Um, we are, you're identifying a crack before it becomes a major rift or a major problem with your customers. So listening to them, not just to hear what they're hearing from customers, but they process it in a way where they say, it, you know, this is what we're hearing. But we know that based on what we're hearing, that our weakness here could expose us, fix this, address this, because we're not going to remain competitive in the future. So um, you wouldn't believe, you would not believe how astute and smart and engaged frontline teams are. And we hear this from our clients day in and day out when they see these readouts. I'm like, these are phenomenal ideas. Why have we not been gathering this all along? So when we talk about the two-way, it really is this idea of, you're going to need to get the message out there, but when you get the message out there, gaining the you know, get, gathering the feedback on what they think, what their attitudes and perceptions are as the messenger is closing a loop that most marketers, they, they just don't have that, that relay mechanism right now. I, I like that point about the, the, the frontline workers knowing the, the strengths and weaknesses of the brand more than the, the customer because there's, where, the, where the customer has like maybe a little issue with the brand or a way that the, the messaging is being relayed, that could just be like a minor annoyance. That's like a drop in, drop in the ocean in terms of their brand experience. But if you spread that across all the customers who are experiencing that level of negativity, that's a, that's a lot of negativity. And a frontline worker, they, they'll likely interact with enough customers that they'll notice that over time. And they'll, ha- they'll gain that knowledge of what doesn't seem like a minor annoyance when you think about it in terms of scale could be a very major annoyance. And that's what I think is a, a really interesting way of thinking about it. Well, one of the things I actually never done this before in in, uh, in appearing on the show, but um, I actually had, just happen to have it open on my computer right now. Um, I, I'm pulling some of these quotes um, to, to share. Yeah. Um, I have a quote. I'm, I'm actually going to read you. This is a verbatim from from somebody. Um, this is a, a home improvement brand here mm-hmm. in the states, and um, this is the quote back from a, from a frontline salesperson. Having a customer, by the way, this was part of a much larger comment. Yeah. I pulled this out and an incredibly astute strategic thinking. This is this is a high commission salesperson, okay? Um, so when I say high commission, I mean they're, they're low base, base salary. This is not somebody making $500,000. I mean, this, this, this is somebody out there on the front lines. This is what they had to say. Having a customer sit through the slow, antiquated process 
we used to sell and close a deal is embarrassing and does nothing for our credibility. Oof. That's some harsh words, some harsh truths right there. It, it is, but this is the thing. The great thing about the commentary was um, this is not the only, um, this is not the only thing that this person had to say. They said positive things too. So this is somebody who's taking the time to think strategically and provide valuable input. And it, one of the things that's really interesting is early on when we built the brand transfer study, we got skepticism from, uh, from marketers saying, people are just going to tell us what they think we want to hear. They're not going to actually, they're not going to actually give us candid feedback. I don't know if you know anything about salespeople. The salespeople are willing to speak their mind. If you give them the proper forum to do it, we anonymize these. So all the responses are anonymous. That same respondent, and at the end of his response said, I'm glad you've offered this platform because real changes start at the bottom. And I truly hope the powers that be will listen. So when you think about sharing insights, something along the lines of the slow antiquated process we put our customers through does nothing for our credibility. They are recognizing, listen, the customer experience we deliver is not meeting the customer's needs. We, you know, pull, pull the, the fire alarm, raise the flag, whatever you want to say. Um, without that type of feedback, you're not going to be able to adapt to your customer's needs as quickly as you need to. And the warning signs can come from your frontline teams. Definitely. That, that, that final point as well um, about how appreciative they were of having the opportunity to share their ideas. That, that says to me as well that this kind of process is going to really help with, like, uh, with talent, reten talent attraction and talent retren retention. If you're, if you're listening to the people who work on your brand, you're going to keep them under the brand for longer because they, they feel like they're having some influence on the direction that the brand's going. They're going to feel more invested in it, which also will mean they'll be putting in more effort to their work as well. So it seems like a, a major net plus having this kind of dialogue open to me. Everything you just said has played out. Every time we have, we have run one of these and, and done an engagement with a client, and we work primarily with larger, uh, primarily business to consumer or, or B2B to C, business to business to consumer companies. And it has played out every single time. And people will ask us, we're very focused on ROI for our clients. And you know, we're really focused on, okay, this is going to help you get products to market more smoothly, right? Your frontline teams are gatekeepers and they're, they're the messengers, but they're also gatekeepers. So, um, so recognizing that is key. So we focus on ROI and how this is going to help you get to market more successfully. But the question always comes up, does this help with reten employee retention too? And the answer is yes. The answer is it absolutely does. And the way I share it back to, to a client is I say, think about it. If you ask somebody, what they think of the brand that they represent. They, you ask them, what, what, how do they feel about that logo that's on their shirt or their hat or, or on, their, you know, on, their, um, on their briefcase? How do they feel about that logo? What does it mean to them? Okay, where do they have pride or belief in that brand? If you ask them that, and then you build messaging strategies to reinforce and build on top of the things they already love about the, the brand that they represent, what's going to happen? They're going to love it more. And then they're going to they're going to deliver those behaviors. They're going to deliver on that brand promise more effectively. So if you have in turn made them feel better about the brand that they're working for and made them more effective at representing it, they're going to stay longer. Like this is this is not this is not hocus pocus. It's not magic. It really is about it's about marketers taking the time to understand the front lines as a mark as a true marketing as a as a segment of their marketing strategy 
not just as a, an operational part of the process. Treat them like a, a segment of your marketing strategy. Understand them and try to win them. And that's not hard for marketers. That's what they're great at. That's what marketers are great at. It's just changing your thinking a little bit and, and changing your orientation to the frontline audience that's so key. But lo and behold, marketers can, can hold the key to driving better employee retention. Um, it's not a stretch. We've seen it happen time and time again. And with the with the great resignation still in full swing in a lot of places, like this is going to be more important than ever to to brands to take this into consideration. So, yeah, not just a means of ROI; it's a main means of keeping your valuable workforce your workforce basically. There's big ROI in that too. Believe oh, me. exactly. Yeah, recruitment that's expensive. Cost far too much recruitment, onboarding, training. Better to keep those people happy and working under you, um, definitely, and especially if they're more passionate about the brand as well, because they feel like they're invested in it. Like it's, it just seems like a full, full on upswing for me in terms of how, how to approach this, uh, this relationship between marketing and the, and the frontline teams, for sure. So we discussed the benefits, we touched a bit on like what can happen if we don't have this system in place. How do you go about actually setting up this system? Is it like a town hall meeting kind of thing? Do you have like a reporting system in place? Do you, like, how do you open up these dialogues? It's, it's really, it's, so we have a, um it's really built like a market research process. Um, we really do treat it at, we, we bring, you know, research rigor to it that, um, that big brands would bring to, to gathering the voice of the customer. We're just gathering the voice of the internal customer. And most of the brands that we work with, most of the organizations have big enough teams that, um, that we're talking about significant sample sizes. Um, I think that we are approaching 15,000 plus frontline employees have responded to brand transfer studies over the last, over the last four years um, since, we, since we launched it. So um, we're getting to the point where pretty much everyone we, do, every, everyone we do is in the multiple hundreds of frontline respondents. So we're getting great sample sizes. So um, it's, it's, it's a scalable, structured approach to gathering frontline insights. It's not an ad hoc uh, survey monkey that, that gets sent out. Um, and, and just a lot of times what happens is marketers, um, and I'm not calling them out because most of them aren't, aren't trained researchers, but marketers will say, I have a hunch or I have, I have a suspicion and I'm going to create a, a three or four question survey monkey and send it out to the field and get their feedback on it. And what that ends up doing is a lot of times it's probably written in a way that's going to either, you know, probably confirm their, their, their bias and what they're looking to, to ask. And it just doesn't have the rigor. And it's fine. It's good to get feedback. Any kind of feedback is good. But what we bring to it is a level of structure and the way that we run it that allows you to gather it in a scalable, quick, um, uh, consistent way over time. So that idea of not looking at it once as a snapshot and just confirming that one hunch, but how can this be something that you track over time? The second thing about the way we structure it is not only can we help our clients benchmark within their own company, right? Benchmark against, okay, the product we launched last year, um, here's how we scored on that one. How do we score on this one? Are we getting better? And, and the way that we launch things. So you can benchmark against your own past performance in terms of getting, getting products or getting messages down through your front lines, but also you can benchmark against other, other companies in your industry, other industries as a whole. So the structure that we bring to it really does uh, try to bring uh, discipline that can help us roll this up and put the data in the context for companies that makes it even more valuable for them. So the structure and the rigor really is, is the differentiator to this and um, you know, allowing them to, to give employees this mouthpiece, uh, but have it done in a way that um, it's, like I said, not gameable and done in a way that they can look at these insights 
on a truly consistent basis. It becomes part of their dashboard. And then, and then once once we have the insights and we do stuff with them, is it is it do we communicate that we're doing stuff based on the feedback, or is it do we keep that kind of under wraps, um, or do we do we even do we celebrate the heroes who have who brought things to our attention? I know you said the the um, the whole process should be anonymous, but what if there is a single really great idea that comes from a frontline worker? Is it should we open up the the pull away the curtain, say who it is, celebrate that person, like show the good work that they're doing for the company? Would that encourage others to do the same? It's an awesome question. It really is. I I I, I like that question a lot. So here's what I would say is. The process that we're going through is not the mechanism to use for that, but, mm -hmm. but, but I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you an idea and I'm gonna use an example from what we do with what we're currently doing with a client. Um, the, um, the way that the, 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 the feedback is gathered, um, it's not designed for ideas. Um, I, would, I would not encourage people to look at it in terms of the one single idea. That's not necessarily what we're going for here. You're going to see things that are useful, but I will caution against um, building strategies off of a verbatim response. Mm -hmm. This, what we're doing is really about the, the, the scalable rolled up, you know, this, this is your group as a whole, right? This, this is your, your employee population as a whole, a representative of your employee population as a whole. There are themes and trends that we're trying to get people focused on. And, you know, I'll, I'll use an analogy. It's, it's like when a marketer leaves corporate and goes out and spends three days riding with salespeople and they come back to corporate and they're like firing all over the place. I heard this. We got to change that. Customers are mad about this. And it's like, time out. How many customers did you see? Five. What region were you in? The Northeast. We've got a little plant back up. Like, don't, you can't go change your, your, your entire marketing strategy based on some anecdotal feedback. So while the anecdotal stuff is important, the anecdotal stuff provides you uh, ideas or areas for further investigation. That would be the, the way I would, I would typically use it. But to take it one step further, we did a we did a, a program with a client of ours that, that is a brand transfer study client, and we get we've we've we actually did brand transfer study, did a remeasure on a major product launch that they had, and then they wanted to do something with their field to, to drive some engagement. And we communicate up front with, with the frontline teams. We want to help you serve our customers the best you possibly can. Your input is critical to helping us serve you so you can serve them. Okay, so by teeing it up that way, we kind of open up the, we kind of soften them up and get them excited. And then when we start to do the, the implementation of a program, then they're, they're ready for it. They are expecting it, but we set those expectations. What we did with this particular client in the banking industry was we created a contest, a structured company-wide, or I should say retail-wide, their retail branch network. They did a contest whereby two branches paired up. And they had to generate a list of ideas for how to better serve the customer. And they whittled that list down and they nominated one idea. And there was a bracket style tournament where they competed with another two branch cluster and they competed with another two branch cluster. And then they got whittled down and that could narrow down, narrow down. And it went through this entire process. And ultimately there was a winning idea and the company has committed to implement that, that single idea across the entire retail organization. So that idea of great ideas can come from the, the, the front lines, they absolutely can. But 
don't take verbatim comments and try to use them as those great. You might find something, investigate it, but then put a structure in place where you can gather those types of pieces of feedback um, in a more, um, a more deliberate way. That would be my, my suggestion. So if we're not looking for that, that one core big idea, I assume there needs to be a certain scale involved. Like this isn't, this isn't necessarily going to work with like a mom and pop brand kind of thing. You need a certain number of frontline workers in place to be able to get the kind of data necessary. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, and you've got to vet it out. I mean, you, you just have to vet out the ideas because um, there is a huge, um, there, there's a huge recency bias when it comes to frontline teams. Um, and that's why we, we try to collect a, a statistically relevant uh, uh, sample size, because what can happen is I've done, you mentioned uh, town, town halls and focus groups. I've done focus groups before where you stand in a room and you say, okay, what, what, what do customers think of this product? What, what are your customers saying about the product? And they say, I have customers say that, you know, they can't, you know, they, they don't understand why, it, it, you know, we don't provide that for free, why they're charging us for it, blah, blah, blah. And they say, okay, how many customers do you have say that? You say, oh, my, this is what my customers are saying. How many? Well, I had a customer that, well, that was a call I had with a customer the other day. So one, how many calls do you take a day? 45. Okay. So here we are. That's one call that you remember that sticks out in your mind. My point is if, if, that happened recently and they got one piece of customer feedback that was negative. If you're doing it in a, in a qualitative way and just gathering it as, as anecdotal feedback, that can dominate the way people think. And if that's not actually what's, what's happening or the trend, you could be acting on something that is sort of a snap, you know, a, a one-off as opposed to what the, truly the trend is. So the sample sizes are important and looking at the trends to start and then investigating some of the qualitative stuff. So if we're trying to avoid this kind of recency bias, what kind of timescale are we talking about to run these kinds of studies? Like, is it something to be done in a month? Are we talking about a year long process? Like, what, what, what are we talking here? Um, so that, that's evolving, to be completely honest. Our process is evolving, whereby right now, the way that it works is we're doing these as um, they're, they're, they're single event um, uh, research projects. But what's happening is we're going to we're they're single event, they have a start, and then we do remeasures over a period of time. Excuse me, typically that remeasure period would be something like um, somewhere between three to six months afterward, because you want you want some time for something to be able to change. So so the data you get back is is relevant, but we're moving to a model, and this is from feedback directly from our clients. We, we, we have a, a, a group, an advisory group of clients who are providing us feedback saying, Rather than do everybody every time and do it once every six months or, or 12 months, let's start doing smaller chunks of the, the population that will still be a representative sample, but doing it monthly. And now we're able to track longitudinal, you know, longitudinal data and we're able to track the perceptions over time. We can have a monthly dashboard and we can really be like a health check on our channel of how the message is being received or what the perception of the product is, whatever it is they're measuring. So right now it is more kind of in that, that six to 12 month cycle, but we're going to be increasing the frequency of that. And you know, just using kind of the, the data collection methodologies to our benefit, because most of these organizations are big enough that they have teams that are big enough that if we get 150 responses from their employees, that's more than enough of a sample size. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm just thinking like shorter cycles could probably be very, very useful in like the, the SaaS marketplace and in, in startups and stuff like that. Like, do you think there's a point where, like when, when is early enough to start talking about this when when is the right time to start talking about these these two-way dialogues like should should startups be thinking about this from day one or is there a certain like critical mass you need to reach 
first before you start being able to really see an effect with from this i think organizations of any size need to be doing it it just d- depends on what the mechanism is mm-hmm. um you know we, we talked to a, a brand that uh, was growing quickly they were um 45 people right right in the 45 people range and in terms of the 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 approach that we take um is is just a little heavy for them. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't designed for a 45 person company. It was de- designed for organizations that have you know larger you know larger teams. Now, one thing I will say is we've worked with some brands that are small teams but have huge distribution networks. So it could be an organization that yeah you might have 30 people on your team, but if you go to market through distributors or independent sales reps or brokers and things like that, you could find yourself in a spot where. Um, it, it, it's definitely worthwhile. We, we have a client who um, is, is a luxury goods manufacturer and their sales team is only about 16 people, but they have 1,000 to 1,200 kind of preferred retailers that they, that they go to market through. Guess what? Those retailers are the face of their brand to the actual consumer. So we, we gather their feedback. So um, just because your, your company's not big doesn't mean that your distribution channels aren't big. So I would encourage people to think about that. But any size organization needs to be thinking about these things early on. It really comes down to when we show up in front of a customer, are we delivering a con- consistent value message, a value-based so, message every time? Yeah. So you'd include third parties kind of thing within this. Like how, how does that work? Like, do you have to like how willing are third parties usually to get into this kind of process? Are they, are they happy to be involved? Does it take a bit of convincing to get everything um, in place? So I'll go back to what I said before. It, it, you know, it all depends on how you message it, right? You have, you have to be good at how you frame this up. But when you say to somebody, we, we want to do the best job we possibly can. We want to be best in class in supporting you and representing our brand. You are, you are, you're part of our family. We need your input to, to make sure that we can support you the best we possibly can. We want to be best in class. If you frame it up that way and you do have some people that, that, you know, support your brand or are willing to share their feedback, you know, in that instance of the luxury goods manufacturer, I think it went out to, I think it went out to like 900 different retailers. And um, I think that we got uh, a little over 200 responses. So we get, we got, and that represented, I think those 200 responded, uh, respondents represented like 130 different retail locations. So they, they jumped in. Now we have, we have found as a best practice that we are offering some sort of, um, um, light incentive, light incentive, uh, for third parties. It typically be a chance to win, or we're not talking about anything, you know, we, it might not be any more than 50 or a hundred dollars worth of something. It might be a gift card. It might be, you know, a, a small little token, but it's more of a raffle type thing. That's just to grab attention. Um, but it, they're not doing it for the, for the incentive, but it's just a way to grab their attention and get them to, to, to open the email. So, um, so yeah, I, th- that would be a best practice is we're, we're finding ways to, to drive engagement around taking them. But if you frame it up well, you're going to get your, your, your third parties to, to step up and, and respond. Because I, I could see that being extremely useful because it's all well and good when it's salespeople who only sell your product. But if they have options of different products, you need to know why aren't you pushing to sell my product over another competitor's product? Like, is there something to do with the logo that's not attractive? Is there something to do with the messaging behind it that's not attractive to you or to your, what you perceive your customers? And yeah, that could, that could be extremely valuable. So let's, let's, th- let's think about how, how do 
third parties get the the other way with the dialogue it's because it's a two-way dialogue like right. so you're getting the the feedback from them how do you feedback to them in reverse uh so that's one of the things we ask in in the study we're asking them um and by the way i, I think it's important to point out that th these studies take um we send out a link or, or their other sent, sent to a link or they go to a portal and they can click mm -hmm. on they can click on the link there um they take between seven and eight minutes to complete so we're not you're not talking about something that's that's tremendous tremendous investment of their time it's really been honed down to be able to get a lot of input in a short period of time but one of the things we do ask is and and, and to be very specific the question that we ask is um to help improve or increase your confidence in representing it could be the brand it could be the product whatever it is to increase your confidence what types of support you know do you believe would be most valuable to you and we're doing a little bit of a media study from them asking what types of content they believe would, would be supportive. And we've done any, based on, on the feedback we've gotten, we've done anything from podcast series, created internal podcast series where sales reps can consume the content going you know, place to place to um, interactive um, taking eBooks and turning them into almost like interactive, choose your own adventure, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of interactive books. Um, interactive tools for them to, to, to help support their conversations. Um, it's, it's, it's really two part. It's listen to them and find out what, what they think might be valuable to them. The second piece is push the envelope a little bit. You know, if, if you're going to deliver content to them, deliver content that's different and interesting. We've created um, uh, graphic novel series for brands where we, <laughs> awesome. we've turned, we've turned their brand into a, into a superhero and we've distributed um uh, electronic versions of, of this 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 graphic novel this com almost like a comic book that tells the story of, of how you know what the, the value is that the brand is bringing in the marketplace so um push the envelope and come up with some fun ideas i mean think about again marketers need to look at this as a segment of their marketing population you're coming up with creative ideas to, to deliver content to your customers these are the fo these folks have such a huge impact on consumer decisions and and you know what products are going to buy what the margins are going to be all those types of things the, the frontline teams can help decide they make that decision with the customer so treat them like a segment of the pop the, the marketing population and come up with some interesting stuff that, that, that i mean that's what marketers are great at this is not the hard part for marketers it should be the fun part but they really need to push the envelope and come up with some better stuff definitely definitely that's a that's a great great call to action right there i don't know if i want to end it there let's let's, let's go with maybe one last like ultimate golden rule when it comes to this kind of process like what should marketers be keeping in their minds when they're thinking about a two-way dialogue with frontline teams so i'm gonna i'm gonna steal um, i'm gonna steal a piece of feedback from one of our clients mm -hmm. and every time we talk about this he said i'm always caught between two things when i do this am i doing this to help understand how, how my marketing strategy can improve or am i doing this to understand where my message is misaligned and i need to i need to for lack of a better phrase, fix my sales team's perception of the product? And our answer to him is yes, okay? And he looks at it as an or, we look at it as an and. So what I would say is when you when you go to gather, and that, that to, to us, that's sort of the core of what frontline insights are. It goes back to that two way. Is it about me getting the message to them in a more effective way? Or is it about me understanding where my strategy might be broken? The answer is yes. You, you, should, you should open your mind to looking at it both ways. And I will say, we when we originally built the, the, the brand transfer study tool, we expected that it was going to be primarily the 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 downward the downstream path, which is the how can I get 
how can I make sure that my message isn't misaligned? How can I make sure that it's not the game of telephone and I have the, the message getting fragmented as it gets closer to my customers? We thought that was going to be the case. It's actually flipped. We're finding more of our clients are looking at it as a tool to better understand what's happening in the trenches to guide and shape their strategy than it is just the, okay, how can I get the frontline teams to say the same thing consistently? So I, my, my piece of advice would be um, if either of those is, is valuable to you, um, recognize that there's a way to kind of get both of them and, 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 and take both of them as a real opportunity, right? See, see them both as a real opportunity. This is not a check on your work. It's not a check on whether or not you're being effective. It's not a report card. It is truly unlocking data that resides in the heads of frontline teams that marketers just simply don't have right now. And it's an opportunity for them to make better decisions about how they get product services to market by tapping into it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Chris. This has been absolutely awesome. It's been eye-opening for me, certainly as a marketer. And I'm, I'm sure there are many marketers listening who really appreciate getting your perspective on stuff. And definitely, definitely some very interesting processes to think about and think about bringing in. Um, thank you very much to our listeners as well for listening um, I hope you've enjoyed the show um, we'll be back soon with another CMO combo.